podcast by the worst writers. I'm back this week, baby. It's your host, Leah, and I'm joined, as always, by my constant constants, Jesse and Jen. Hey, Hi. welcome back, Leah. Happy to have you. <laughs> which uh, which one of us is X and which one of us is Y? Mm, I think Jen is an X because she's got that real X factor and you're a Y because I'm not sure why I'm still doing this with you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Podcast is over. I saved all my best material for today. She took a break. She's rested. (laughs) Ready to go. Guns are blazing. Guys, what are we talking about? Today, what are we talking about, Jennifer? We're going to discuss characters. Like how many things you can have in a tweet. Definitely. Um, That's the first priority. After that, we'll move on to character building and how to handle ensemble casts, things like that. Just our general personal experiences with character design. Character design. Because Jennifer, what did you say? You said characters are all about their relationships to each Mm -hmm. other? Or as you said, their lack thereof. Yes. And as I said, it's all about my sweet tweets. Mm Mm-hmm. So you guys have been doing. Can we circle some back really... to that a couple more times? <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are doing actual stuff for Preptober. So when you prep for your novel for NaNoWriMo, how in depth do you get with your characters? What are your characters kind of not like their traits, but like how formed are your characters looking at this stage in your prepping? Let me go first, Jennifer, because I think you have a better answer than me. I don't do any. Um, <laughs> previously, when I we did this last year, I, I knew the I knew the protagonist, and then I wanted to keep track of all the other characters as they came up naturally within the story. Um, so I like started three by five cards with everybody on them, and soon I just realized I didn't really care, and and if I really wanted to go in with that much. With that much organization, I should have done it before I started, not while I'm doing it. Um, so this year, I guess it's a little bit different without giving away sort of what I'm doing. Um, I think the protagonist and the other characters are going to be much less fleshed out, but much more realized in the sense that I'll have them, who they are, figured out in the sense of name, appearance, relationships. But then past that, not really anything, but go in knowing here's the five people, here's kind of what I want to hit, and then whatever else happens, happens, and not leave it up to, like, oh, now the one character I figured out is in a different room, and this room should have this character, so here's that new character, you know. Not like that. But so far, I have not figured anything out. I'm not to that part. So with your your piece from last year, when you said that you kind of had that main protagonist figured out, how much of that character do you think that you knew? Because I think a lot of the people who write for Nano, and especially who Jen and I have written in circles with before, you know, that main character, they know every single thing that's happened in their life, what they ate for breakfast, what their favorite color is. Do you go that deep into it? Or do you care about a totally different set of characteristics? No, and I think it's, I think it's, that's a bad idea to do. I think people fall in love with their protagonists and they let it get in the way of their story. I don't just mean the A to Z plot of the story, but also what the story is. And not to get too sort of 
philosophical about it, but writing is as much about getting out of your head what you want to say as much as it is also knowing and listening to the story trying to express itself through you and not being celestial or anything like that. But like these things kind of, once you get them started, they have a certain pull and a toe. And if you go, I'm going to root in and be all about my main character, the way I want my main character to be, you're going to miss a lot of things that you wouldn't know or expect were going to come out of the work. Um, so I think it's, that's a, that's a trap, you know? Um, and then also that, that gets in the way of unexpected changes. You know, maybe you, a scene goes a different way and your character makes a choice that you didn't think it was going to make, they were going to make. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're it's, it's untruthful or rather it's, it's stifled, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't want to get too caught into that sort of thing. Yeah. How do you approach it, Jen? Um, for me, I've always just kind of had like an active imagination and random characters will just appear in scenes. And that's how I meet characters is through scenes um, of them interacting with each other. Uh, and it'll slowly develop from there. And I don't really actually write down things like what their zodiac is or their blood type or what their phobias are. I don't really think about those things until... I've had them in enough scenes where I kind of want to add depth to them, but I, it's not really how I start. I really enjoy on a, kind of the opposite of that. I enjoy the superficial depth things like blood type, zodiac signs, birthdays, like those things that will probably never come up in your writing, but can kind of give you a guide for how that character might act, mm-hmm. you know, especially coming from, you know, you're supposed to write what you know, and I only know my life experience. I don't know everyone's life experience. Well, but if I can assign someone just the general type of a Taurus, you know, whether or not their birthday ever comes up, it kind of helps me to let them make that's, decisions. That's like a D&D thing, though, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Start off with, I know the the race, uh, height, class and then you go like their alignment and then you go whatever their strengths and weaknesses are so you kind of that helps you gauge how they would react in a situation right yeah and that's the most comfortable form of character building for me even before i started to play role-playing games and i think that's why i fit very well into it well i think now what you're talking about too is then the relationship between without getting too ahead of ourselves i'm sure we'll talk about this next week but the relationship between character building and world building. I think sometimes there's a mistake where people go, these two different things are not connected. I can plug in my full-fledged character in my full-fledged world, and there's no give and take between the two. Uh, and I think that's when you get into sort of weirder mm-hmm. things that are a little stifled and a little just sort of really reliant on genre tropes then to pull you through things. Um, so what you're talking about too is like, it depends what part of the relationship you're on. If you're the the DM, it doesn't really matter what their characters are as much as it matters what the world is. And then with the characters or the players, it matters what their character is and not what the world is as much, you know? So it kind of just depends what you're doing. And I think in nano you're, or at writing, you're, you're, you're being both, you're being the player and the, right. the DM. So that's an interesting way to think about it. I think. Yeah. But I think sometimes, yeah, people can't, they get a little lost. They can't see the forest through the trees, you know, I think a good protagonist or good characters should be significant, but they should be interchangeable. The moment they become so significant, you know, 
that's something else. I guess it depends what you're writing for. You know, if you're writing for just a character and their progression, then you should still keep that vague because you should be allowing them to grow. And then if as you're, you write, you mean keeping yeah. it vague so that as you write, what goes on develops naturally. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I guess it just depends how you are. If you want the here's four things they would do. Here's four traits they have. Let's see what they do in the world. Then that's, that's fine too. I just, I think there's a, there's a risk people run of, of knowing the character so perfectly, you know, it's, you, you get then it's, it's comparing, you know, I can't think of a good example, but you know, somebody like Rory Gilmore, where it's like, Oh, she's smarter than everyone. And she likes writing and she likes, Harvard and she likes her mom and she's a nice kid. And then you get like year in the life where you're like, this doesn't apply anymore because now she's in her thirties and she does, the character doesn't know how to operate outside of these parameters, you know, which was the driving engine of the character for so long, which, you know, so that that's the good part and the bad part. Sometimes those engines you need to get rid of, you need to, to rethink them a little bit. Well, then how, um, not how, I guess, but there's people that I've seen that's kind of take that fully formed, fully realized, you know, quote unquote, perfect character, not perfect in that they can do no wrong, but perfect in that they know everything about them. Every single line of the questionnaire is filled in kind of thing. And what they do is they tend to try to write their story as a way to kind of pull this character apart, putting things in front of them that are the exact opposite of what they believe in. And that's kind of the Harry Potter thing in a lot of ways, because he is, you know, everything about him is checked off. He's brave and he has friends, but he has a troubled past and he's got all these different things. So what can we throw in front of him to kind of break away that kind of perfection that everything we know about him to see if we can throw a curveball, see if we can get him to do something different. You know, that's the, what if Neville Longbottom is actually the one about the prophecy. It's trying to, to chip away at that, fully realizedness about them. Yeah. And I guess that's just a matter of what you want to be writing. If you're writing with that example, the books are called Harry Potter and the blank. It's not called, you know, Hogwarts year one chamber of secrets. (laughs) And it could just as easily be called that. Right. But it's not. So I guess it just kind of depends on what you want to do. You know, I never respond really well to that sort of stuff, but then all the, all the the literature I like all has a, a character like that. So maybe I don't really know. I just, you know. For me, I try to, um, when I notice that I'm creating like a really strong character with like a really clear personality with like, you know, strict interests or things like that. Sometimes that can be good for me because I know how to have them interact with something. But um, if I do feel like it's suddenly becoming restrictive or it's not feeling right in the moment as I'm writing, I will just change a character. I'm perfectly fine with letting that person become someone different. Yeah, I think that this conversation only goes so far because I think from what I've gotten from Jennifer too, we like to know what we're doing, but we're open to not going that way maybe in your writing. Are you, Jennifer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very. Yeah, I think if we were talking to people that we meet all the time who are less flexible, then we'd be having a different conversation. Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, like with the people that I talk about and who write like that, I don't a lot of the time see the end goal. We kind of see these people and meet these people while they're in the middle or at the beginning of their writing process. You know, it's wildly interesting, both in good and bad ways to be on like NaNoWriMo Facebook groups, for instance, because you see someone's idea and you're like, man, that were me 
I would be stuck in the mud and I would completely give up because I don't know how you're going to go anywhere from there. Your idea is too bonkers, too constricting, too too much of everything. Well, and sometimes that's the point. I think sometimes right. people feel comfortable there and there's a problem with that. Well, no, and there's the- not many people at that, that beginning or that middle stage. We never usually see their finished product. So maybe that is what gets them to the end. Maybe that is the thing that they enjoy and can write. 50,000 words on. Yeah. Actually, a benefit of having a really clear character might be that in a situation where you need the plot to move a certain way, because you have a strict character, that character's not going to bend to to help the plot along. So you're not like breaking character for the sake of a plot, right? Because when that happens in movies and books, it feels really like distracting and like the reader or audience can tell that you're you're not being true to the character because you need something to happen. So with a strict character, it prevents you from doing that. And that, that could be a benefit of it. Say I had a, a movie about a, a person and in the middle, they find out they're adopted and somehow that makes them <laughs> angry. <laughs> Only Jen can speak to this. I did not see this film. And then the guy from Atlanta shows up for, for two minutes to do that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was trying to figure out what you were talking about and it, <laughs> it clicked. Okay. We're talking about a clown, I see. Yeah, Pennywise. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I think, but I, and I think we fell into the trap again. Like we did last year when we talked about this. Like people do all the time where we're going, oh, characters. And then what we're doing is like, oh, we're really just talking about our main character who we're projecting a lot onto. And that's not, and Jen brought it up too, earlier too, that that's not really as simple as character is. Right. Know? You know, characters, like Jen said, is not so much about what they're doing as much as what they do together. Mm-hmm. Right, Jennifer? Like, yeah, I think characters, the way they interact with each other, their relationships, it's like the driving force. That's people, you know, human beings are that way too. So how do you, when you're plotting or you are writing, how do you work out what people's relationships are or aren't going to be? Mm-hmm. Well, because my, I'm usually introduced to a character through a scene, um, it it's... I can develop a relationship just by them interacting in that scene. Um, I try to like try out different scenarios. So like, what do they do when they argue? What do they do when they're getting along? What do they do when they're helping each other or fighting against each other? Or um, what do they do when they're just having lunch? You just make your imaginary characters bone. (laughs) I can sometimes. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. See, I kind of, since I don't come at it that way, and I do kind of come at it from the, like, as you put it, the D&D, the RPG kind of thing, sometimes I have to kind of force, you know, two independent personalities into some kind of relationship. Because when you're part of a party, that's really what happens is I made my individual me character, Jesse made his individual Jesse character, and we have to figure out a way to accept the quest and go find the gemstone together because we are two strangers, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So sometimes you have to kind of force those relationships to kind of lubricate the wheels. And, but then I find like, okay, well, if I have an extreme person one way an extreme person, the other way, you know, what can I do to really twist that bond and really see how far we can push it? before it becomes either an antagonizing situation or maybe they're the kind of people that are like, well, we're totally different. Let's use our strengths together and just kind of 
manipulate it from that perspective, from the relationship being the basis, not from the scene being the basis. In the context of a D&D game, can there be a party of people who resent each other or who are antagonistic toward each other? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you can really do anything. The catch is how much are you willing to commit to that bit and possibly derail the enjoyment of the the friends that you're playing with. Right. That's the problem. And when you're doing it by yourself as a writer, no one else matters. It's your own enjoyment. It's your, your thing that you're telling. Well, I, I mean, I think that's a good example because the meta narrative of a D&D game is regardless of the characters, the friends playing it together want to win the scenario. Mo- mostly. Yeah. I know there's exemptions all the time, but mostly. So sort of like when you're writing, the meta narrative is the author wants the story to get where they want it to go or where the story wants itself to go. So they can be antagonistic, but that still doesn't mean it doesn't have to have momentum, right? Right. And there have been, I've played games and I've seen characters where, you know, they're antagonistic toward each other, but in the way of like, I'm going to one-up you. Like, oh, you killed that that monster? Well, I'm going to get the finishing blow on the next one to prove I'm better than you. And it still progresses <laughs> you through the dungeon, but, uh, you know, it's a competition, you know, or, you know, everyone, there's going to be gold at the end and there's different theories on how to spend the gold. So maybe someone will try to cheat, you know, there is a way to do it and still move it forward. But at the end of the day, D and D is about playing a game with other people and writing is not necessarily that there's less people you have to apologize to when the night is over. That's true. Theoretically. I mean, you could still, name drop all of your actual friends in your writing and then have to apologize for calling the mass happy. <laughs> but, you know, no one forced you to do that. Well, running with the sort of D&D comparison, Jennifer, you said you start with tropes sometimes. You just kind of... Yeah, so I do actually, like, sometimes hit a wall with the scene way I meet characters. Like, there's only so many people that I can naturally meet, you know, that way. So sometimes I'll have to create characters um, from the ground up just to play with, I guess. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll find a trope that I notice in like a film and I'm kind of annoyed by the trope or something like that. Then I want to like maybe subvert it. And uh, you know, it's, you know, like the mean girl trope, the girl who's like the mean queen bee of the school. And then in mean girls, they subvert that. And it was really fun. Um, that's the kind of stuff I like is when you take something that we all recognize and then we explore it and then subvert it. Jennifer, I've been having this conversation with Leah for a few days. Who do you think is the secret MVP of the movie Mean Girls? Uh, the secret one? Like, not the obvious one? Or just, just in general, I guess. I, I guess I don't know. How, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what you're looking for. Because I can tell that you have, you have someone in your mind. <laughs> Everyone has a different answer. That's what I'm wondering. Mm. Mine is Lacey Chabert. I think she's underestimated in that movie. I really like Tina Fey in it, but I think that's like obvious and stupid. So <laughs> I wish we could see the face Jesse faked. That's fine. No, that's fine. It's like saying Kobe's your favorite player, but <laughs> I guess is that okay metaphor. Yeah, Leah. Yeah, I like um, Lindsay Lohan as well. 
Oh, yeah, so you like Shaq, too? Yeah, isn't that weird that that was, like, a career high? Like, she never really did that again. We're like, she's going to do better than this kind of, like, quasi-teenage movie. And then, not really. Maybe she made her riches and made off with it. That's fair enough. No, oh. the Lindsay Lohan's <laughs> issues are very public. We don't have to speculate. <laughs> I didn't want to go into that, but, yeah, okay. <laughs> We're all going to go to the Lohan uh, Resort, right? And you can ask her Yeah, Greece? Hell Yeah. That'll be uh, Right Sweats Retreat 2021. <laughs> Honestly, sounds great. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the subverting a trope thing can always be a, can go either way, but using tropes can go either way. But you always are using tropes either way, so it doesn't really matter. I mean, what it feels like to me, what you're not what you're saying, but I read something on the Nano message boards that was really helpful. That was like. If you if you have a scene and then another scene, you can't figure out how to get between there. Just write in brackets, then the next thing happens, you know. Or or you know, if you can't figure out how to to explain how somebody escapes the castle, but you know it's going to happen afterwards, just say in your work where no one sees it, they escape the castle, you know. Yeah, so, that is a good. That's very good advice, actually. So if you just need like, oh, we need an attractive girl here to act as a motivation for the character to follow her into the next room where there's, you know, action, just sexy girl says something sexy. And sleazeball follows her. (laughs) Yeah. And then you go back and you fix it. And if that's not what it has to be, that's not what it has to be, you know, but if you need Jessica Rabbit to show up, just go Jessica Rabbit shows up, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think that's good. I've also become more comfortable with the, oh my God, cats. Anyway, I've become more comfortable with um, using tropes to like, and being comfortable recognizing, oh, this is 100% a trope. I'm not subverting anything. I'm not being clever. I'm just, it is just plain old trope tropeness, And I love it. Like, I've become so much more comfortable with having things that are easily stereotyped. Because I guess I fear uh, criticism of being unoriginal less than I used to. Well, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you can do, you can... If we're gonna if we're gonna sort of circle around to like Joker, which I think I saw this weekend in Gen Saw before, mm-hmm. you know, you can go. Here's a, in my opinion, here's a subversive character, and you can botch it, and it doesn't matter. What I would have preferred was more of a trope, you know, like just because you are subverting something does not make it good inherently. Also, know? agree with that absolutely. Yeah, sometimes it can really not be great. So if it's a trope, that's not inherently bad. It's just you got to watch it. Well, yeah. It. Like, for example, I think uh, Game of Thrones that we've already talked about, but they tried to subvert our expectations with how things ended, but it didn't work at all. Right? No. And that's a very, like, big example of that. Well, I think my my I, my biggest criticism of Game of Thrones is I think George R. R. Martin and, you know, Benioff and Weiss fall in love with their protagonists. You know, they don't let them do things they don't want them to do, you know. So uh, that's a good example, too, of how those characters and being so in love with what you create with them can sometimes get in the way of an actual... On the other hand, sometimes working with tropes and purposely not subverting them, I think, has worked. You know, we're big fans of Riverdale. And if anything, it does its best work when it leans into just being a teen high school drama. When it gets Mm -hmm. too far away from that it gets a little bit off the rails. Mm-hmm. Like when Archie fights a bear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but when they're in the high school and someone's potentially getting murdered over the Carrie musical, you know, that's when the show is really, you know, 
kicked into high gear, you're really enjoying what you're watching, and it's really just leaning hard into those tropes and try instead of trying to do something new or different or you know subversive yeah. with it. So sometimes it works better to lean in rather than to twist it. Well, and those tropes are very convenient. You know, like if you look at something I really like, like Wet Hot American Summer, that's the whole point. They go here's the tropes, you know what this is supposed to be. We don't have to explain to you who these characters are. And we're allowed to project jokes and stuff on top of those characters because they don't need to do that shorthand as well. Which happens in Riverdale too. You go, there's the football player, there's the cheerleader, there's the rich girl. We don't need to explain this to you. This is how this works. You know. So I think there's a place where that, that can also add a lot of shortcuts. Who's your secret MVP for Wet Hot? Wow. Probably Bradley Cooper. Yours? I'll give you one guess. Um, Michael Showalter is Ronald Reagan. <laughs> no. You know, your one guess. Yeah. Chris Maloney. Oh. Well, that's just the MVP MVP. I mean, he's also my MVP in True Blood. So. I like that scene where Paul Rudd picks up forks very slowly. <laughs> I like that scene where they go into town and do heroin and then come back and everything is fine. It's only been an hour. Yeah. Yep. It's a wild movie. That's a good movie. I love it. That was one of those uh, Now You're Dating Jesse litmus tests. Yeah, we watched Sleepaway Camp. We watch. God. Yeah. I passed the two of the three. The His three are Sleepaway Camp, Wet Hot, and Hot Rod. Jesse failed Hot Rod. Jennifer's not been susceptible to the new one, to, to watching House. You ever see that one? No. Or movie. You would really oh like God! It. Yeah, people have been. Uh, I've had people recommend that one to me. I just should watch it, but it's not bad. Truly, it, it's really fun. I'd rather watch Hot Rod. That's a good movie too. <laughs> watch them both. I watched Hot Rod again this week. Last week, actually. So I'm definitely. <laughs> yeah, it was on TV the other day. I turned it on for five seconds, and it was the Cool Beans scene. <laughs> I turned it off. I'm like, that's all I need for a little while. Yeah, I watched him until the point where they were like, he's fighting his dad, who's like on his deathbed ish on the couch, and they're just fighting. I just love it so much. Oh, yeah. That's like the first five minutes of the movie. So yeah, it's like, really early. <laughs> it's like the instigating moment where he decides he's going to go get money to fight his dad. That's so good. That's truly like the one big meme that like every year now I'm contemplating. I'm like, all right, are we going to do that stupid thing where we start Hot Rod at that one time so at midnight it's cool beans? <laughs> it always feels like a good idea. we got to find one of those to do someday. Yeah. Oh, no, we're just going to do real-time Jaws. Let's not have on New Year's. Well, eh. Um, so, Leah, you had a, a character-building game for us to... I'm going to make guys play role-playing games today. Jennifer, All right. What character are you? Oh, I have to role play. Yeah, <laughs> as Stranger Things character. Oh wait, for real? Oh, I hate this kind of thing. Um, just, no, no. Okay. Just you. I'm not going to. <laughs> so, one of my favorite things that I got introduced to from another friend of mine is a relationship building web that is used in the game Fiasco. And so, basically, for each pair of characters, you roll two sets of dice. The first decides what kind of relationship it is and the second then kind of breaks it down into like a more specific relationship. For example, you can have someone who you find out that they're related 
And then the kind of deeper relation from that is that they are um, distant cousins or like distant family members in some variety. Um, you know, so it's kind of like the, the reveal for, in a lot of ways, it's like the Star Wars reveal with Luke and Leia being twins. Someone rolled the what? dice. <laughs> Spoilers. Someone <laughs> rolled the dice during Empire. It's like, so they've been related this whole time. Never mind that they kissed. <laughs> okay. Wait, so just to clarify, when you say role-playing game, you mean rolling dice. So what we're going to do... <laughs> is I have two D6 dice, so two six-sided dice here, and we're going to roll them really obnoxiously on my desk, so that way we can hear the rolling sound. I'll roll them on, a, on the piece of paper. Well, we'll do it at least once so we have the sound. It's just a room tone of rolling dice. Right. Um, and what we're going to do before we roll the dice is, you know, in kind of pairs, pick two characters. So it can either be a character that you've written. That Should Jen and I both pick one different character? What do you mean? Like, she picks one, I pick one? Yes, you should not pick the same character. No, I know, but one person's not picking two. Two people are picking one. Yes. Okay. No, 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 no. Can we, can we do that once? This is my game, Jester. For once, can we do that? At the end, can we do that where Jen and I pick one? It's a secret pick, though. We roll it. We see who the relationship is, and then we reveal who our character was. Okay. You know, like, we write down on a piece of paper, though, because it doesn't matter because we can't see each other. And then, like, we roll it, we're like, sisters, and then she opens in. She's like, she's like, Donald Rumsfeld, and mine says, like, LeVar Burton, our sisters, and then we all laugh. <laughs> How about we just move that audio clip to the end of this <laughs> We'll do that one at the end, and that'll be fun. Yeah. It'll be funny, funny for everybody, all so, the listeners. for the first one, I'm going to have... Jen pick a character either that she's created and written or that she's very familiar with. Have Jesse do the same thing, and we're going to kind of talk about what their relationship as these dice set relationships would look like. Oh, this isn't a secret ballot? No, it's not, not yet. Let's do that at the end. That'll be fun. <laughs> I'll write mine down so I, that way I can't change it. All right, Jen, who's your character? <laughs> I'm going to go with Alicia, which is a character I wrote who is a werewolf. Okay. Cool. Ah, uh, shit. What was the character I wrote for Nana last year, the protagonist? What was his name? Whatever. Let's call him Jeff. But he was like a... Detective Pikachu. Yeah, he was like a hard-boiled detective, was the idea. Or a PI or something weird. Yeah, Detective Pikachu. Was. It was Detective Pikachu. So, no. So, my, my, my guy from last year. Alright, so we're gonna roll the dice. Jesse, what is the first number? Five. And the second number? Six. Okay. So five means that they're part of the same community and society, and six means that they have a shared prejudice. Oh, that's fun. Cause my... So like they hate the same people, for example. Like, uh, kind of like Ron and Harry both hate Draco. Right. It doesn't even have to be hate. It's the same, like, kind of blind belief in something. Right. So maybe... maybe the maybe... are bad. Right. So... With your werewolf character, what's something that she might hate? People who are not werewolves. Oh. Interesting. So it's a shared prejudice we have to have? <laughs> yeah. So your character has to be. This non-werewolf character has to hate other werewolves. I mean, maybe. That would be fun. Yeah. I mean, what would that look like in the detective kind of world? Well, my imagination is a lot of times these detective novels, the um, they're PIs, but that's because they were... Um, Raised cops, 
mm-hmm. or whatever. So like maybe he was like, I don't know what your werewolves are like, but maybe like werewolf cops and he's a disgraced werewolf cop, but he was never a <laughs> werewolf. So he didn't really fit in. Oh, uh, I never fit in. So he's, so he's faking it in the community. <laughs> but he still doesn't like non-werewolves because they don't understand the life of I'm a werewolf. So Jen, why would your werewolf that hates non-werewolves want to work with a non-werewolf former Surely, cop? Because they have to be part of the same community. Either they have to share that they're both detectives, right? So they're part of that community. Possibly. Or she thinks that he's a werewolf and she's being deceived. Oh. That's oh. Yeah. That's pretty good. So that could be some sort of he's on a case that takes place with the werewolves or some shit. And mm-hmm. Werewolf murder. All right, Jesse, I'm going to pass you the dice to roll. Uh, I'm going to pick... Who would I pick? I mean, my, my go-to is usually Lestat, so let me... I'm going to pick... The vampire Lestat? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to make sure it was the same Lestat I was thinking of. <laughs> so I'm going to... Oh, wait a minute. I have a joke. Um, what did... Uh, what did... Uh, what did Dr... Fuck. What did the, the vampire doctor say when he needed... Um, uh, the little zappy pads because another vampire was having a heart attack. He said, give them to me, Lestat. Okay. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool. It'll be a different game where we get the punchline and we got to make up the joke. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll, I'll do the same kind of thing. I'll go with my protagonist from Nano who was um, kind of a, a sad housewife kind of stuck up in, in an area she didn't want to be in who was starting to um, become friends with the ghosts in her old house. Jen? I forgot about that. Who was your uh, next character? Oh, I have to come up with another one. It could be anybody. Yeah. It doesn't gonna, have to be yours. I'm going to go with one of my merman characters that I wrote and never put in a story ever. He just exists in my head. A little merman. <laughs> Should I pick a third one? Can we do three of them? No, we're going to go around the circle. Be patient. Can we do a three-way one? Yes, but first, roll your oh, dice okay. for this one. I just had a good pick. So what is your first number, Jesse? Six. Six, okay. Six is trouble. So we have some sort of trouble with each other. Uh, and with each other or trouble well, together? Hold on. Uh, then what's the next number? Four. Four. Four means one of them is a crime leader and the other is a follower. Yeah, that's or fine. like a boss consigliere, a cult leader, and a cultist. Um, I definitely think that if my strange, sad housewife were to run into a small merman, she might become obsessed with the small merman. So maybe she like <laughs> follows him and worships him and or something like that, like in a weird, creepy way, and he's a crime leader? Okay. <laughs> Wait, what does Birdman crime look like? Yeah, okay, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> I guess that's what it is. We're going to have a really good story here. Yeah, you guys remember there was a movie where a lady fucked a fish and it won Best Picture? <laughs> it was such a good movie. <laughs> it's an okay much. movie. It made me cry. It was an okay movie, but it was good. I was going to say, what kind of crime does a merman have to... Well, execute. I quite literally cried because her fish boyfriend left. Like that's, that's a good movie. The, you make you make you make the merman Michael Shannon's character. So his crime is whatever Michael Shannon was up to in that movie. It's rape and abuse. Man, he's good in that movie though. Michael Shannon. <laughs> Not for that reason. But. Should we do a three-way one? 
I thought you and I were going to do one. Oh, okay. That's fine. Who's your character this time? You go just... first. Okay. Um, I don't want you to adjust yours based on my night. You decided the last round I'm uh, locked into. Oh, okay. You've locked into it? Okay. I'm going to go with um, Homura from Minoka Magica because you just watched that with me. Which one's that? She's the one with the dark hair that oh, travels through time. time traveler? Okay. Mine is Harry Styles. <laughs> okay. Two. Two. Meaning they are family. Six. That's Meaning they are uh, unrelated family. Family, but unrelated family? Yeah, so you know people have those, like, quote-unquote aunts and uncles and cousins, people that are close to them. I've never that... heard of it. <laughs> so, so Harry Styles and... Hobra from Madoka Magica mm-hmm. are unrelated but close like family. Well, that's the whole premise of the TV of, of Madoka Magica, right? Because it's kind of a yeah. created family. Yeah, so, so that would just be like Harry Styles' new witch hunter or whatever. Yeah, a boy witch hunter. Boy witch hunter. And in order or, to... You know who else is a family that's not related? One Direction. Oh, so Homura's <laughs> not part of One Direction. Yeah. I like the idea, though, that Harry Styles has to make a contract to fight witches. I'm pretty surprised, too, in Madoka that those girls didn't start a band as a part of a... That's a different one. Does that happen in that show? Not in that one, but... They, but it seems like they would be a band. Yeah. kind of lends itself to that. We'll watch K-On! next, but... That's just Josie and the Pussycats, really. Right? But no, like, what would Harry Styles mm. is thing be? What What would he wish for? Does he wish to be in One Direction, or is his wish to leave, to be successful without One Direction? Was there, was there a wish involved? They said they were family and then not related. Well, if they're, if Homura's unrelated family is the um, other magical girls, yeah. or her relationship with Madoka, Harry Styles would have to be hunting witches. Yeah. Oh, and he meant to make the wish, that's right. Jen, what do you think Harry Styles would wish for? Mm, freedom. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> More lines in Dunkirk too. Was, yeah. <laughs> He's good in Dunkirk, but yeah. probably for the eradication of all fan fiction. I'm not sure. Okay, Jesse, you want to do a three way with me and Jen? Everyone, gross. <laughs> Should we do this? The secret ballot. The secret ballot. Yeah. Okay. How are you going to facilitate a secret ballot? Jen, write down your thing. Write down your character. That way we can't see it. (laughs) And then Leah, write down yours. So I'll read yours because you'll show me your ballot and you'll read mine. I'll read my own. No, that's... (laughs) Then we can't verify that it was secret. All right. I gotta, I gotta... Give me a moment because I want to make sure I I got something good. All right. I got it. Hold on. Now I have to think about this. Mine's not Harry Styles the second time. It better not be. (laughs) <laughs> it's Zane. <laughs> now I don't know any other One Direction member. Jesse just learned about BTS, so it might Jim be. Did. I know them. <laughs> okay, so Jesse, you and Jen have a relationship of. My character. Yes, of one two. So intimate past. They have a an intimate past. Oh, let me write this down. Okay. Intimate. Past. Okay. Okay. Jen, going around the circle, you and me, we have six, one. So we we have a shared trouble. We are um, dysfunctional together in some way. So maybe codependent, 
one is controlling. Somehow our our connection is not good. We've shared trouble. Well, we're trouble together. So right. we're really dysfunctional right. or or toxic or something of that nature. Okay. And then between Jesse and I, we are one six. So intimate again, but there's an unrequited uh there's an unrequited part of it. So Jen, since you can't see what Jesse and I's characters are, uh which way does it go? Jesse to Leah or Leah to Jesse? I'm gonna say Jesse to Leah. Okay. That's gonna fit really well with this. <laughs> All right, are we gonna reveal? No, you gotta read mine, right? Well, Jen can tell us hers first because we can't do a fun reveal with that one. Oh, okay. Well, I wrote down four different characters. Uh, I wanted to choose based on what you guys chose. Here, no. no. Pick one. Pick three. Uh, pick three? Pick no, one. pick number three. Oh. All uh, right. Number three is Bill Hader. That's a good one. Jesse picks. <laughs> Jesse picks Fat Bastard. What? Jesse picks Fat Bastard from. <laughs> <laughs> that's so old jesse what the hell don't worry so it's fine jesse who did i pick wait i gotta write down our notes <laughs> nigel thornberry that's a good one that's a good one. Oh man now i really wish i had chosen card captor sakura because i considered it <laughs> <laughs> so wait so that's bill Hader and fat bastard of that intimate past <laughs> Bill Hader and Nigel Thornberry are in a troubled, toxic relationship together. And Nigel Thornberry and Fabaster and Nigel Thornberry have an intimate, unrequited love. You can write a great article together. We should have done that during fan fiction February. Yeah. So, what kind of world does that, not world, but like, you know, what kind of story do you tell with those kind of characters? Well, I think instead of doing fan fiction, it's like a Ready Player One sitch, where, from what you're basing it, just some stupid teenage comedy nerd or something like that. So Jesse, yeah, and they, uh, he like <laughs> travels through his brain and uh, all his favorite characters are their fat bastard. <laughs> Bill Hader's an <laughs> <the> actor. <laughs> I, I I see the Ready Player One. Uh, element of all this, just like putting all together the dumb things you cared about in 2005. Like, <laughs> but in like Ready Player One, they all are unlike their actual source material, you know. So, Fat Bastard <laughs> is actually kind of like romantic and sweet, yeah. And you, like, sort of, you sort of just kind of start to like him, and then Bill Hader is, I, don't know. I think you should just stay Bill Hader, he's perfect. <laughs> Nigel Thornberry is quiet, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> he's got long pants on. He's not as handsome as he is in the show. He's got a mustache. (gasps) Blast for me. I know. Blast for me. That'd be a blast for me. Oh, what a good secret lightning round you did, babe. Whoa. Whoa. What was that? The ending gong. (laughs) I hit the metal on my desk with my cat toy trying to get the cat's attention to stop eating plastic. My fucking cat's so dumb. (laughs) Well, do we have anything else to say about character building? I mean, we have a lot to say about character building, but I think that... Jen, just really quickly, do you have any uh, nano, plano, when you do the events with a lot of people uh, that you guys run through with character building? Actually, yes. I'm doing I'm doing the character one in a week, and after playing this game, I actually think I'm going to integrate it because I needed more games to play. Yeah, I didn't want to just hand out like, character sheets to fill out because 
but like you can get those for free online. There's no point in like meeting up unless you're gonna play games and such or like work through problems together. So that's actually a really good one. Yeah, I'm gonna use it. And last week you talked about I don't remember what the name of it was, but it was like think about essentially mood boarding, but think about your story. You say thirty words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys do something like that with the characters too. So. Yeah. Um. So we were gonna do a different style of game, but um, like the. Like, there's a few different ones you can try. Like, you can do, like, oh, yeah, like, tarot card, just something like that. But um, I think I'll do, I, I like the roll dice one. I'll have to think of a second one. Because I'm doing this character one with my co-ML, Rachel. And so I want her to have input as well. She's really into character building. Yeah. What kind of characters does she build? Uh, she Well, she's the one who does the narrative podcasts. So she creates uh, characters um, for that. and. She's very, very intense about character building. She knows a lot about it. And um, like they were discussing it recently on our Discord. And they were like going in depth with like Zodiac. And like the blood type thing came up because of like Japanese blood types determining personality and things like that. Oh. And so they were like, they were going that deep. And I'm like, man, I like, I just don't do that ever because I just don't, I don't care. But maybe I should maybe think about it. It could help me. Maybe. Now, do you? Do you do the thing where you draw your characters? I do do that, actually. Some of the time, uh, my characters come from me drawing something, and I'll, like, make a mistake and accidentally draw, like, an angry eyebrow, and I'll be like, oh, this character's a jerk. He's mean. Like, really stupid <laughs> scenes like that will develop into a character. Jesse, do you draw your characters? I've tried to, but I don't have the ability to. I've seen people online that use, essentially, generators that kind of create, basically, me's. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. I think I can get on board with that because that's so like vague. Really, all you know is kind of height, hair color, glasses or no glasses. You know that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's I can actually break myself away from doing not necessarily like the me's and that sort of stuff, but from my my days long past of doing forum based role play and that kind of stuff as sort of my first foray into like writing exercises. So much of your character identity became the picture you used, and oftentimes because we were shitty kids, we used celebrities, or maybe not even celebrities, but like C-level TV people that you saw. Lee Pace. Oh, don't even talk about him on C-level. Lee Pace. Oh, well, back then, oh, well, he was yes. on one TV show. Yes, but I love Lee Pace. Oh, Lee Pace oh, messes yeah. with my head. But he seems like a, a guy who does a lot of different characters who would lend himself to that. There'd be one yeah, where he's a, an elf, one where it's... Right. Seems like guy. the kind of guy who'd crush you with his thighs. Oh, if only. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's not appropriate. I redact my statement. I don't. I'll take it if you do. But, like, I feel because that was, like, the ideal fantasy of a nerd girl at the time, I used Alicia Witt from The Sybil Show because she was very, very, very slight, tall and thin, and had, like, bright red hair. The Sybil Shepherd Show? Not Sybil Shepherd, the Sybil. What are you talking about? Sybil Shepherd Show? Yeah. The one where. She was, like, yeah, like Sybil, like, yeah. exclamation point. I, I, you dropped it like that was a common. What? <laughs> For you. I mean, yeah, I got to it. But <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, I yeah. saw her on TV once and she just, you know, the what I thought was incredibly pretty at the time. Yeah. But then because you're trying to do that to embody yourself, you end up falling into a trap where um, in the Zoolander terms, all your people are really, really, really good looking. Yeah. And then that's really all they have. So you don't end up creating anything real. You just project perfection onto a that's an actor or an actress who is already very close to an ideal. Yeah. 
Well, that's like... It's actually a big issue for me. Um, like, when I see people's, like, little me's or pick or whatever for their characters, like, mm, pretty sure their teeth aren't that straight. You know, like, I don't know. There's just... Even, like, I'm a really big fan of, like, the Korean dramas and such, and, and they literally cast based on how hot you are. And sometimes I'm just like, you know... This is a, it stops feeling relatable at a point when someone's constantly attractive. I don't know. I mean, you also have the issue with thirty uh, somethings playing teenagers, but you're wrong. It's fine. <laughs> I do feel more comfortable lusting after a thirty year old. <laughs> oh yeah, it's not like when you watch Degrassi. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> and you shouldn't, unless no. you're Drake, both in and out of Degrassi. Yeah, or you're like a literal 14-year-old, which is fine then. You, you do your 14-year-old. Uh, so we have anything else to talk about, about characters? I'm sure do we, we want. Do we want, in a nutshell, we've been doing this for a little while, but uh, Jen and I's um, uh, Joker takes. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Jen, this I want to hear you first. You go first. This is a hot one. Um, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I thought it was well-made, and there were a lot of scenes that were really impactful for me, especially in the beginning the way that I was made to feel uncomfortable constantly felt very real to the struggle with mental illness. The movie kind of lost me at a certain point, which was spoiler alerts. Uh, when he's fucking dressed up as Joker and dancing down the stairs the first time. The thing that's been in the trailers for like months. Well, I've seen it in the trailers, but in the context of the film, you could see the transition from like, literally you spent like two hours feeling uncomfortable and suddenly there's this moment where he's so in himself and so comfortable. And the way they frame the scene is how he sees himself very happy, very comfortable, like free. Finally, you know, they, they frame it the way he feels. And I didn't like them inviting me to feel happy about this mentally ill dude, stopping his meds and murdering people. It's like, don't ask me to be happy for him just because he's happy for himself. Like he's literally sick. This isn't happy. I don't know though, but it, I thought it was well done that they framed it in accordance with his mood. That doesn't mean that it sent a good message or anything. I think it sent a pretty fucked up one, but yeah, that's how I felt. So, uh, I think that the, the controversy around it is overblown. I don't think it's saying anything because it's too stupid to know what to say. It has so many ideas that it doesn't even feel like following in any way. It throws everything to the wall. It doesn't understand anything. It introduces a bunch of ideas. Doesn't even bother following them for a second. It's not made well. The music is bad. It's <laughs> bad. The music was bad. I... Joaquin's acting is fine because he's Joaquin, but he doesn't really do anything all that interesting that he hasn't done before. Um, I think it's dangerous in the sense that it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's ableist. I don't think the Joker is actively racist, but I think the movie is racist. Um, I think it introduces a bunch of ideas that it doesn't follow through on. I think Robert De Niro is bad in it. I think that that monologue he has at the end is worthless. Oh, the monologue was very bad. That was part of what, for me, threw me out of it, for sure. Which then led to what? And then also... It was boring. Truly nothing happened. And I don't mind movies where nothing happened, but nothing happened. And also it didn't do nothing happening well. Um, <laughs> I think I think it was Deadpool without jokes. Truly, I think it's at the same level of a Deadpool movie, which is a pretty fucking low level. Because those movies are terrible. 
I hated it. I think it, it's just worthless. You know, I think the best case scenario is somebody sees it and they go, I like some parts of this. I don't like some parts of this. What is this inspired by? They go and they watch Taxi Driver or they watch, you know, First Reformed or they watch a Scorsese film or something. And they go like, oh, OK, that I see what this is this version of it's not so great. I like the other version of it. Let me figure out what else is going on there. So hopefully that's what it does. I don't have a lot of help, a lot of faith for that. It's just another dumb superhero movie, truly in my mind. See, I felt like it was not a superhero movie and I was kind of annoyed that they made it one. I was like, why'd you even throw that shit? Like that dumb iconography. Cause I had a hard time taking any of that part seriously. Like all his like dumb makeup stuff and like this clown depot, like what the fuck? That's so dumb. And Todd, Todd Phillips has said that it's not based on, it's based on, you know, things from other Joker stuff, but it's not a Joker story that's been told before. No, if it's not. Yeah, that's true. So then, it's not in the comics in any way. What was the point of it being the Joker? And then if right. I take that part away from it, then it's just, it's just, you guys don't understand mental illness and you hate social workers. That was the point of the movie, you know? And then that scene tacked on the end where he finally gets his revenge on social workers I mean, it's just... That's a good point. And isn't it funny that, like, sometimes people are shorter than other people? I did... Oh, yeah. I did really laugh at that scene where, without giving away too much, the the little person couldn't reach the door chain. I thought that was really funny. And then I thought, all of a sudden, like, why wasn't the rest of this a dark comedy, then? From a comedy director, why didn't he make it a dark comedy? I, I didn't go... I don't need my taste of seriousness from Todd Phillips. <laughs> Todd Phillips. Why so serious? <laughs> like, you know, I honestly, uh, from what I've read about him as a person, I'm not super happy that I liked one of his films. Well, people I like the hangover. The first one's fun. Do they I didn't like it, but see, but I also, and I haven't seen it yet, but I don't. He did old I, school too. That's I don't like this fallacy that's going around that this is a Joker story that hasn't been told before. Like, yes, there are a lot of specifics in here that haven't been told in the comics, but the Joker is mentally ill has been done before. The Joker is a failed stand-up comedian has been done before. Yeah. The Joker, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of the, you know, being related, not necessarily as it turns out he may or may not be, but somehow being involved with the Wayne family before Bruce Wayne is not new. Like, a lot of these pieces aren't new. They're not exciting. So seeing them and trying to pass them off as original, as someone that loves Batman comics, is just fucking fake and a lie. Well, okay, so <laughs> I don't that- think the originality of it was a point that people were proud of, though. I thought that a lot of people were complaining that it had so such a limited link back to the original uh, well, that was supposed to be a selling point about it. Well, this it's, isn't interesting. It's, trying I didn't see it. it's not trying to be Jared Leto. Well, if you watch it too, this you can tell that the writers, Phillips and whoever else, don't are not fans of the comics. Don't really have any connection to the comics or reverence or irreverence to the comics. It and definitely that, felt like gamer guys who look up to Joker, and that was the cringy part for or me. Or he read the Wikipedia page on, or he read the notes that his PA gave him about it. Or he read, like, subreddits. for, And that's also the same attention he gives to, like, the political commentary in it. Everything's thrown to the wall. There's a point where there's protesters that have resist signs. He doesn't really say anything about that, but it's there. You know, and it's like, he he gives as much 
attention to that as he does to the comic book stuff, which is not any attention at all. Right. <laughs> like to call it a comic book movie is wrong because he's never read a comic book. I don't think. Right. <laughs> well, and there are, you know, I do think that there are interesting stories within comic book universes to tell. I think if you have to try to push yourself so far away from them, then your point earlier is correct. Why use that as your entry point? Well, because that's the thing is also, if, we, if we're forcing ourselves to make up new comic book movies, maybe we should take a break. Yeah. Maybe we should make the fucking movie that is this. This movie gets made every year. The, the, the premise of Joker, like I've said before, is not a hard premise to pull something interesting out of. Right. Man pushed too far, it breaks him, he does something with that break. It's a movie that's easily effective, E-F-F-E-C, effective. Uh, that's not always... That, I mean, it's easy to make effective. This movie was not effective, and it was not affective. I don't think it did what it wanted to do, and I don't think it felt, made any ideas or thoughts that were interesting or good. You know, And it's a, such a thing that's so easy to do person is pushed to the edge, makes some sort of bad decision from it. And I don't think it did that. If we break it down to what it's supposed to be. Or even just like a taken sort of thing. You know, man pushed to the edge is violent. John Wick, man pushed to the edge yeah, is violent. that's a good example. Yeah. And that's simple. They do it right. Yeah. Well, and I think the argument or the story was not that he was pushed to the edge and he was violent. And so there's actually a, a lack of consistency in what... That's why I hated the monologue. There was a lack of consistency in his motivation. His motivation was that he was mentally ill and he perceived comedy in a dark way and harm was amusing to him. And then they they conveyed at the same time, he had like that monologue about like, you abandoned me and like shut down social services and we live in a society and now I'm going to kill you. And it's like, okay, those are two different messages, two different motivators that do not mesh at all. Well, and, and that's a fine story to tell that even, you know, within a scene, the Joker is inconsistent where his, his, um, you know, because Heath Ledger did that really well, and that happens in the comics, where every other scene he's doing something different for a different reason, and that's why he's so scary. I don't think this movie landed that either. Like he has that's half interesting, yeah. Yeah, the motivation changes every time, but not because it's it's just a chaotic thing. It's just because I don't think it did it well. <laughs> and I gotta say, I prefer Joker as a chaotic creature, like a person who just loves chaos and loves. I don't need to know where he came from. I definitely don't need to think that I don't need the portrayal of mentally ill person um, who wants to murder. I definitely wasn't a fan of that. I I liked it when he was, well, I don't like it, but I thought it was most effective when he was harming himself. Yeah. Because that's a more accurate portrayal of how mentally ill people struggle with mental illness is self-harm. So when they were... when it was like framing it like he was going to kill himself on the show, I was like, oh, that's dark and very good. And I knew he wasn't going to because he's Joker and he was going to become a villain. But anyway. Well, then the, the inciting incident irritates me so fucking much. So it's, it's the 70s, right? We're supposed to believe. He gets on a comedy club, does his act. Everyone goes, haha, that's so bad. No, Andy Kaufman existed. Alternative comedy existed. Tiny Tim existed. If he went up there and did that, everyone might not like it, but like somebody who's in the comedy world, like Robert De Niro's character, would go, I don't like that, but I, that's, the, that's those weirdos that do those unfunny, funny things. You know, he wouldn't go, 
let me Daniel Tosh this and show it to everyone and we can laugh at it. Yeah. No, they would just go, yeah, okay, that's that weirdo that's doing the weirdo comedy. You know, like, they would all know enough to not think it was weird. Well, he was obviously also not well, so it's really hard for me to imagine a person being comfortable enough to, like, mock someone unwell and, like, in person as well. Like, that seemed very like a big stretch. Um, now, if that was a comment on the internet and how people have embarrassing videos up and everyone laughs at them, then they didn't get that across. Well, and I also didn't like that they invited us to be happy about every person he killed, like every person he killed or even fought against like Thomas Wayne, like all of them were actually bad or framed bad in the film. Well, that's a conversation to have to go like, Oh, they killed the wall street guys. Wall street guys are more dangerous than he is, but then they didn't follow through that storyline it's a lot of things introduced and then they drop it to go to the next one i think they dropped the wall street thing because he genuinely didn't care about the world like which is true to joker but i can see what you're saying too so one of the things that at least listening to you guys talk about it that it reminds me of is jesse had a really funny comment when we saw jurassic world together which is there's that shot at the end where the t-rex pushes the creepy monster into the water and like roars and we're supposed to be excited like this our old friend the t-rex is back to save us even though he was very much the bad guy <laughs> before <laughs> yeah. the t-rex push another giant monster into the water and beat him is fun like you could get behind the bad guy quote unquote because mm-hmm. the spectacle of it is fun there are ways to make it so that you you know, quote unquote, get behind the joker it's the whole point of suicide squad yeah getting behind the bad guys um, and not in a way where you feel like you're compromising your morals or whatever, your morals, or even, you know, being asked to question your morals. Yeah. Or asked to empathize with this. And I, and I would suggest that people like this movie and they like Joaquin go out and see, you were never really here. It was a Lynn Ramsey movie from last year. And in that movie, Joaquin plays a hitman who does bad things, but obviously kind of feels bad about it. And he's like, really got a really bad PTSD issue because he was in the Afghanistan war. So you can't tell sometimes what's real and what's not. You're really shocked by his brutality, but also really touched by his sweetness, sometimes within the same scene, sometimes within the same kill of the same person. You know, and that movie doesn't do a lot. It's pretty quiet, very violent. It's much more violent than The Joker. Things what's actually- the name of it again? You Were Never Really Here. Well, you Were Never Really Here. Mm-hmm. And it's got a really good soundtrack. And I would suggest to do go see that because that's a better, more modern way to talk about this. You know, because he is mentally ill. He tries to deal with the best he can. He can't get all the help he needs. It's also not as simple as just getting the help you need. You know, there's there's a lot of things that go into it. And I think this movie just kind of, it, it, I don't even know if it wanted to say something. But whatever it tried to say, I don't think it said. A lot of people were saying Text Driver did it better. And I haven't seen that one yet. I mean, I still want to revisit it because I haven't watched it since I was a kid, and I remember not being all that, uh, all that moved by it. Honestly, I'm surprised I like Joker because I went in there hate watching it. I literally went in there anticipating that I would despise it. I went there to literally find out why I was going to hate it so much. <laughs> I will say that it's not I, the reasons I went in wanting to hate it were not the reasons I came out disliking it. Mm-hmm. So, and I think the sort of discourse around it being a dangerous incel movie and this and that, I don't. I think that's overblown. I that's not really in the text all that much. I don't think there's plenty of things to be critical of it of, but 
The only part of it for me that felt in cell E is truly just that, that it, they celebrated his murders and that um, he was framed as being right to kill everyone. Like everyone he killed really was as bad as he thought. And uh, Well, in the movie also way. tells you that he is not an incel because it tells you he's having sex, that he's got a love interest. And then when you learn that he doesn't, you know, he has known that the whole time, but still had the same emotion like he has. So he's not really an incel. No, he's but, not an actual incel. I yeah. think it's more just that he's the patron saint of incels, Joker. Like, he's the patron saint of, like, douchey gamers. or You know what I mean? Like, Joker is literally, like, the image used by, like, douchebag men on the internet. And so that's And I, I felt a little cheated. You know, they said Mark Maron was going to be, and he was in it for 30 seconds. They said uh, Brian Tyree, uh, Henry Henson, whatever, the guy from Atlanta, said he was going to be, and he was in it for, like, two minutes at the most, you know. So I was a little, I felt a little burned by those people we knew were going to be in it. And talking about characters and relationships, that's the only thing with Joker is that I think the movie was not very capable and an easy way to make it a little bit easier so we don't have these questions about why did he do these things that he does or doesn't do is give him somebody to have a relationship with. You know, other than his mother, who they I think they do dirty, he doesn't really have a person he shares any of his feelings with or or is in or is against, you know. I was about to say the 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 thing that the relationship that the Joker has in the Batman story is his relationship with Batman. Yeah, it's only defined by Batman essentially. You know, so if they had him, you know, talking to a, a guy on the street that's also a killer, or a detective that thinks he might be guilty of something, or you know, even a social worker. Oh, that would have been weird if they actually had him talk to the social worker, not just be mad at her mm-hmm. for being a woman, I guess. I couldn't really tell. She seemed pretty uh, disengaged, which was really um, sad to see. And I also uh, I think that you would not just not get your meds just because your social worker was cut. Like, you would still have a medical prescription. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and she's like, oh, it's hard for us, too. Here's what happened to us. And he makes it all about himself. That's something to talk about. But then the movie didn't want to talk about that. You know, <laughs> like... Here's all these things, and let's not follow any of them through for... Because then I was like, that doesn't matter. But yeah, it was whatever. I don't like it. I liked it more than It too. I don't like it. It too was bad. <laughs> I haven't seen It or It too. I haven't watched a good movie in, like, months, it feels like. I feel like clown movies are probably not your thing, then. I don't know if they're mine, either. I don't find them scary. There's no tension to it for me, I don't think. I honestly can't take It, like, I think It, Pennywise, that's it. Can't take Pennywise seriously. Uh, it's not scary to me. It's fucking embarrassing and dumb and cringy looking. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of on your side. It's kind of like when people say like, oh, if a movie's about exorcisms, I'm so much more scared because I was raised Catholic or something. And I'm like, I, I, it doesn't work for me. I don't care. You know, <laughs> I can still be scared by him, but I don't go in with that. Like, I'm already scared. So I guess my thing to kind of round out the Joker is if Jesse's going to suggest that people see you were never really here. I think I would say that you should go read uh, Mad Love and Other Stories by um, Paul Dini. You can also just watch the episode on Batman the Animated Series, but I'm going to say read the comic book first. Um, And then also I would suggest reading, if you haven't, read The Killing Joke. It does go into a little bit of his background as a comic, not as a comic, but as like a failed stand-up comedian and kind of touches on those sort of things. Um, But it is a very brutal Joker story that takes it too far and 
too violent, especially in the terms of sexual violence. Hey, this movie does that too. Yeah. Um, but I think that when you talk about relationships with other characters, I think that the what Commissioner Gordon is put through and what the Joker puts Commissioner Gordon through, I think makes it a more whole story mm-hmm. than what you guys are describing. Whether or not that story is good, whether or not, well, I don't think you should have, put, you know, for, you know, ignoring for a moment the what happens with Barbara Gordon in the story and that sort of thing, I think that it is um, at least fully thought out mm-hmm. and fully realized in a way that the Joker apparently is not. I would also not suggest seeing the Killing Joke animated movie because that just makes me mad. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be better stories out there with unreliable narrators too. Cause I think the Joker or Joker tried to be an unreliable narrator and I wasn't 100% convinced that they succeeded at that attempt. And it made me want to like actually immerse myself in an unreliable narrator again, but I can't actually think of a good one. I guess I'm not familiar enough with that. But the Joker is an unreliable narrator. Well, I mean, yeah, he is, but they, I don't think they did that. I don't think they did a good job with it. Because the movie, it's still, it, it's still put forth because it looks so nice, which I still don't really think so. But I will say, I'll, I'll give it to that point. It looks nice. That builds up so much um, authority on the side of the filmic narrative that you kind of have to believe what you're seeing on screen. You know, if they wanted to have it be a little bit more unsure, they needed to do something to break that up, which they didn't really do. They have some of those scenes where you see his, his fantasies, but they do it like one or two at the beginning of the movie and they don't do it again. They kept mm-hmm. that going where we weren't sure at all what was real. I honestly thought the end where he's dancing atop the police cars, I swear to God, I thought that was going to be a scene that he was imagining and it would jump to just him still in the car, but it didn't. That's what I thought. The um, I, That's what I thought at the end when they show him like in the asylum, I thought it was going to be like, oh, the, the whole movie was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> that would not oh my God. I, I wouldn't like, but I wouldn't. Be. No, I would not have liked that. That would have. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. But is that the sort of thing where if you, if something didn't surprise you, you might be more favorable toward it in a movie like the Joker? I don't know. Who knows? At that that point of the ending, there was nothing they could have done to get me favorable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I think that's it. I think we're going to talk too much about Joker. We keep going. And to uh, keep going on Jesse's uh, not seeing Great movies, but maybe we'll have fun with it. I'm going to make him see Jay and Silent Bob this week. <laughs> oh, Kevin Smith, the winner of the Hot Topic Lifetime Achievement Award tonight. Yep. Did he actually? Is that a real award? Apparently. It was only All given. Right. Previously, it was only given to Jack Skellington and a safety pen. Are you serious right now? Is this real? Yeah, sure. Justice for Jinkos. I guess that's Kevin Smith winning it. If it's not real, can we please make it real? Because I'm enjoying that. Yeah, I think we should do retroactively do Hot Topic Awards for each year. <laughs> October 31st edition. So we're drawing away one ten times in a row. <laughs> Finally beat out the safety pin. <laughs> All right. I'm not talking to either of you guys ever again. <laughs> Quit the podcast. All right. Good night. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye forever. Peace.